Great news, my cruciferous cousins. Plant Strong Foods is hosting a March Madness Meals and Minutes sale. Visit plantstrong.com and save up to 30% on every one of our ready-to-eat chilies and stews. It is the perfect time to stock up on these heat-and-eat, tasty meal solutions. Having a stash in your pantry means you're never more than 90 seconds away from a satisfying meal. The sale runs through March 17th while supplies last. Visit plantstrong.com today. Hey everyone, I need to let you know about a couple things that have transpired with our food line over the last week, and they're both super exciting. First, we just got a fresh batch of our dessert-inspired guilt-free granolas into our warehouse, and I want you to know that they are better than ever, and I mean it. We've updated our flavors to include an all-new dark chocolate that is gonna win over your hearts, just like it has mine. And all four of our flavors will crush your cravings while fueling you up with whole grains and, of course, no added sugars. The second thing I want to let you know about is we just announced the launch of our brand new product line. It's our Plan Strong Teas. You might be wondering, what in the world are you doing making teas? Well, listen up. It's been a year in the making, but what we've done is we've taken our whole food plant-based philosophy around food, and now we've applied it to teas. All of our teas contain 100% unrefined hand-plucked teas with specially selected herbs, fruits, and spices, and we never use extracts or flavorings, which almost 99.9% of the teas on the shelf use. Now, what we've done is we've also taken our evidence-based health-promoting ingredients, and all these are deliciously blended and artfully crafted by these industry-leading tea masters that we've found in Sri Lanka. I'm telling you, it is the best tea on the planet. Our hot teas include our Plant Strong Breakfast Tea. We have a black cumin vanilla chai, a golden chamomile that's got turmeric and ginger and just a touch of black pepper and lastly as a nod to our friend dr michael greger we've got a gooseberry green and this tea includes amla which according to dr michael greger and others this amla or it's better known as indian gooseberry is the number one most antioxidant packed whole food on the planet And I want you guys to try all these new teas. Let me know what you think and check out our family iced teas as well. And keep in mind, if you're in a hurry, we have a select number of Plant Strong tea tumblers available as part of our special hot tea tin bundle. Say that five times fast. It will be a great gift to kick off your new year. Just visit plantstrongfoods.com to see all of our product offerings. But my position has been and will remain that you ought to hear McDougall's message first. All right? You know, give me a chance. Uh, And, you know, what we're talking about is something that costs you nothing. Something you should be doing for for, to have a good bowel movement. Something you should be doing just to cut your food bill. Yeah. Or, Or if you believe in animal cruelty, something you should be doing. 
or if you believe in saving planet Earth, something you should be doing. Just, just give me a couple of months. I'm Rip Esselstyn, and welcome to the Plan Strong podcast. The mission at Plan Strong is to further the advancement of all things within the plant-based movement. We advocate for the scientifically proven benefits of plant-based living and envision a world that universally understands, promotes, and prescribes plants as a solution to empowering your health, enhancing your performance, restoring the environment, and becoming better guardians to the animals we share this planet with. We welcome you wherever you are on your Plan Strong journey, and I hope that you enjoy the show. Happy holiday week, my cruciferous cousins. I, I hope that you're all decking those halls and jingling those bells with all of your loved ones. This week, I am honored to welcome an absolute icon in the whole food plant-based movement. I'm inviting him back for his second appearance on the Plant Strong podcast. We have one heck of a hearty and rousing discussion as, we, as we're closing out the new year. I'm talking about none other than Dr. John McDougall. He was on the podcast over the summer. It was episode number 151. And so if you haven't listened to that, I highly recommend that you check it out and I'll be sure to link to it in the show notes. In that episode, we, we take a look back at his storied life and his career as a pioneering physician. And, and we talked about his discoveries while he was working with patients on the big island of Hawaii that really informed his unwavering practice around a starch-based diet. Today, I took the opportunity to dive in on some very specific topics and get John's opinions on procedures like mammograms and colonoscopies, bone density scans, blood pressure meds, and other meds, as well as treatments for hormone-related diseases like male pattern baldness, endometriosis, body odor, bad breath, and a whole lot more. Dr. McDougall has been in practice for almost 50 rocking years, and I think if there's anyone who has earned the right to state their researched opinions... It's John. And yes, John has some very strong opinions about modern medicine, but his point is it's clear and it's super concise that so many of these screenings, procedures, and medications can be diminished or even eradicated with the power of plants and more specifically, a starch-based diet. He does not want his patients to undergo treatments that are harmful painful, and expensive when so many of the solutions are just drop-dead simple because when you get down to it, it's three words. It's the food. And as John mentions in the interview, until the end of the year, you can download many of his books for free at his website, drmcdougall.com. And I'll be sure to link to that in the show notes as well. Enjoy this gift of health and wisdom from none other than Dr. John McDougall. All right. I am, I am here with none other than Dr. John McDougall. John, welcome back to the Plan Strong podcast. 
Well, thank you for the invitation. I, I got a lot of response last time I was on your show. So you have a great, great listening audience. Well, you sure did. And you were episode, for anybody that's interested, if you want to go back and hear that episode, it was episode 151 with, uh, with Dr. John McDougall. You know, John, I love that conversation that we had, just sharing your story and everything about being a starchivore. It was kind of a high, high level view of you and your, uh, what really motivated you to get into all things whole food, plant-based, but as you like to stay, a, a starchivore. Um, to get things warmed up, I'd love to start, get you warmed up by talking about, you say that 99.9% of humans are actually starchivores. Or they have been. Or, or have been. You know, uh, Rip, I, was, I used to say there were 10 billion people who put footprints on this earth. A professor corrected me and said there's actually 100 billion. And uh, out, of, out of those 100 billion people, you know, 99.999% of them were, were starch, starch eaters. They obtained the bulk of their calories from starch. It doesn't, they weren't vegan. You know, they ate anything that got in their sight, but uh, including human beings, other human beings. But, uh, you know, the, the dominant food available in any culture, except for the extremes of the environment, like the Inuit Eskimo, we, we can talk about. The d- dominant food, the most reliable food is, uh, is starch. It's, it's not kale. Yeah. It's not broccoli. You know, it's not cauliflower. It's not pea pods. It's rice, corn, potatoes, wheat, barley, you know, sweet potatoes. That's where people got their calories. And, and I make a big distinction. I, I know I, I kept you, keep people off guard a bit. By talking about starch, but unless they understand starch, they're never going to get it. They're going to be they're going to be grumbling uh, you know, on on nutrient dense, non starchy green and yellow vegetables because it's so hard to get enough calories. Uh, and besides that, they're they're not dependable as far as crops go. They're expensive to grow in modern culture. Uh, it, it's starch, and until the world gets their arms around starch, we're not going to have control. You know, the world population, it's not going to be freed from the problems we have today. And individuals just trying to cure their diabetes and their rheumatoid arthritis and so on until they understand that they need to be eating oatmeal for breakfast, hash brown potatoes, pancakes and waffles. They need to be eating for lunch and dinner, bean burritos, mushu vegetables over rice, you know, uh, those those kinds of things, I, I, sweet potatoes. We In the last two nights at our home, we had uh, sweet potatoes one night, and that's all we had. We just had, and I'll tell you, they were so good. And uh, and, and then last night, uh, Mary fixed uh, baked potatoes along with some uh, steamed green and yellow vegetables. Again, just phenomenal. That's where the sugar is. That's where the sweetness is. That's where the satisfaction is. And, you know, you as a runner, you as a, an athlete, a world-class athlete, you know this. It's, it's the star cheaters that win. They, they, they do it on pasta. They do it on, you know, uh, you know what I mean. Yeah, we supplement with the, the green leafies and, uh, and, and all that. We do, too. You know, it was, it was kind yeah. of shocking. You know, John Mackey. I've heard of that guy. Yes. Yeah, well, you know, he, as, as you've been good friends with him, sir, you've worked with him. But, you know, I remember one time, one of the first visits John came to one of our weekends, one of our advanced study weekends. And but he, he couldn't wait to get out of the dining room to tell me, I saw green and yellow vegetables on the trays. 
you know, on the, on the, uh, the buffet, there, there's all kinds of green. Well, of course. Yeah. These add color, interest, flavor, aroma, some bulk nutrients, but they can't be the center of the meal plan. It's it's got to be the beans and rice and corn and pasta and so on. Always has been, always will be. And and I realize that you know uh, there are a lot of people who get a little different message. Uh, they get the nutrient dense message, but I have to say uh, it, it's pretty hard to sustain that if you believe it in total. Yeah, yeah. Tell me this, John. Um... If you had to pick between beans, pasta, bread, or potatoes, and you could only live on one of those for a month, oh, which would it be? A lifetime. Uh, okay. I would pick potatoes. Yeah, you know, I, I'm Irish. My that's my that's my family descent. Is as is descendants are Irish, and of course they went through the potato famine, which uh, you know half the people starved. So, um, you know, very, very strong association between Irish and potatoes. Yeah. It's not the ideal food. It's just what I particularly like. Uh, The question comes up. In fact, I I have given this several times in lectures. And maybe when you attended one of the advanced study weekends, I went through what I thought was the optimal diet. What what is, you know, you you eliminate uh, uh, standard potatoes because of solanine poisoning. Mm -hmm. You eliminate wheat, barley, and rye because of the gluten. Uh, you know, uh, rice has some problems, uh, et cetera. So, so what is it? And, and I run into this uh, rip with real patients. They all attend our 12-day program, and, and they're overwhelmed with their problems of, uh, of dying of cancer or, or heart disease or diabetes. And, and they'll get to the end of the program, and they'll say, you know, I really tried to learn what I was supposed to do, but I didn't, and I'm dying you, can you tell me just in a couple of sentences what I'm supposed to eat? I tell them you go home and you live on sweet potatoes and green and yellow vegetables. That's your diet until you figure it out. Because I think the sweet potato is the most ideal of all of all starches. And it happens to be one of the lowest protein foods that we should be consuming. You can't get any lower than a sweet potato. Only 3% of the calories, uh, maybe 10%, maybe 5%, depends on which table you look at, are are protein. And protein is evil. You know, (laughs) if I had to pick one thing I had to correct in people's hearts and minds, it was the idea that they had to have uh, a protein. I'm I'm pouring out my soy milk on my oatmeal this morning. And, And they're advertising to me that it has like 63 grams of protein. I almost put it back. (laughs) <laughs> no, I didn't really because, but but if you want to talk about something that's destructive to people on the planet, it's protein. Anyway, uh, if you had to play this game, and it becomes real life with my patients. Uh, you go home and you eat nothing but sweet potatoes and, you know, broccoli and cauliflower and a few of those things to make it interesting. Throw a little salt on it. And, you know, for most people, a little salt would be okay. A little sugar would be okay, but not much. So you mentioned you mentioned oatmeal, uh, John, and you said you said before we went live here that for breakfast you always have oatmeal. You make it yourself. I, I do. I'm the cook in the morning. I, I kind of Mary gets out of bed and she takes her a while to wake up. Yeah. So I'm up, me, I'm up two or three hours earlier than she is. Yeah. How do you how do you make your oatmeal and, and what kind of oats do you use? You know, I I, I just plain old oats. Uh, I, I don't have any special kind. I have to look at the box. Yeah. I buy it in 30 pound bags. Uh-huh. Yeah. It's just rolled oats. And, uh, and you know, I, I get up and I put like, I have scoops. I put in two and a quarter scoops in. 
Yeah. Purified water. We, we have clean water. And I cook that up just plain. And then also what I've discovered is that when I buy fresh fruit, it spoils. Mm. And, and that, that's troubling to me. Not only do I not like to eat spoiled food, but it's a waste of money. Yeah. So what I what I found is that you can go to the grocery store and you can buy frozen berries, you know, frozen guava, frozen, you know, pineapples, all kinds of frozen fruit and bag. It's just frozen fruit. And so I get up in the morning and I throw that a little bit in my, uh, one of my bowls and and I cook it up in the microwave. I'm not afraid of microwaves. OK. Yeah. And then I mix the fruit and the oatmeal together and that's breakfast. You know, Dr. Dr. Uh, Gregor did a whole episode on the microwave and all the hazards with it. And he determined yeah. at the end that the most dangerous thing was if it fell on your foot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you have to be careful they don't leak and you can buy detectors. You don't, yeah. you don't want to get microwaved yourself for sure. Mm-hmm. But you know, I've held that position for 40 years is that conventional cooking or microwave basically the same and microwave is so convenient yeah. why put obstacles up in front of people that aren't necessary you know we want to make this as easy as enjoyable as possible so they'll they'll make the transition and they'll stick with it so you're tackling the breakfast in the family for you and mary and then mary does, does dinner what do you usually do for lunch usually leftovers you know like uh, she made a great white bean soup a couple of nights ago Mm. And she buys bread that is baked, uh, taken baked bread again at the grocery store. You know, we we don't have we don't have the convenience we used to have in Santa Rosa, California, of going to a, a local bakery that made oil free bread. But there are some uh, taken baked breads that uh, are really good, and they're pretty whole grain. And so she throws those in the refrigerator, and they last. I think they last months. And so she cooked up a pot of beans in her slow cooker, the same slow cooker she's had for forty years. And oh. uh, we, yeah. <laughs> so, so Chef AJ hasn't talked her into getting the instant pot. No, no, we have one. I think Chef AJ bought one, sent it to us. Okay. It's okay. sitting on the shelf over there. <laughs> so, anyway, that's what we had. And uh, the, my point being is, I had that yesterday for lunch. Yeah. The leftovers. Nice. So nice. it's often leftovers. So, you know, Mario cooked three sweet potatoes. Boy, I tell you, you can buy some big sweet potatoes. And at the right market. And we'll, you know, I'll only eat one. She'll only eat maybe a half. Yeah. And then the next day for lunch, that's what I have. I can, you know, hardly wait. But well, we don't eat out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, except when our grandson comes to visit us, he's, he goes to college up here. And uh, he, he's, he's, he's big at eating out. He's vegan. He's, he eats a healthy, really healthy diet. But there's this really, really good Vietnamese restaurant in town that's virtually oil-free. Mm. You get the fresh. I'll tell you, if you ever end up in uh, in Portland, Oregon, Rip, I'd love to take you there. It's it's got fresh spring rolls that are just a they're they're perfect. And I order a couple of those, and you know, if I want to spoil myself, I use a little peanut sauce on it. Yeah, right, right. It goes down really well. Right? Nice. So, so John, you just mentioned how you felt like protein was one of the most destructive things. That's uh, I should say. Well, it's easy. It's evil. It's evil. It's, it's the evil. worst thing that has ever happened to planet Earth and people. Okay. The promotion of protein. And so you feel like the paleo, the keto, the carnivore uh, diets are are evil. Um, what are some of the hazards? What makes it evil? Well, you know, Lauren Cordain, uh, the, the paleo guy, we can talk about him for a while. 
some good things they did was get dairy and sugar out of the diet. You know, you could say good things about them. But they basically tell you if you eat any animal you want, even wild animals, endangered species, just eat them. And as I mentioned to you earlier, people used to eat people, even children. So that, that would fit the paleo diet. Uh, Lauren Cordain talks about something called rabbit starvation. And that's where you get over 35% of your calories as protein and you die. You get sick and die from that much protein. And the reason they call it rabbit starvation is rabbits are very trim animals, you know, not, not much fat, mostly, mostly muscle. <clears throat> and uh, so he even warns people about rabbit starvation. Well, you know, the paleo diet can hit 35% protein. And if you follow some of the variations of the keto diets, you're hitting over 35% protein. Uh, these are dangerous diets. Now that's at the extreme, uh, at the uh, at the usual amount that people are eating. Uh, not even people following these diets. People following these diets are maybe consuming 20, 25%, 30% of their calories as protein, maybe 40. Yeah. But uh, the average American's consuming maybe 20% or 15% of their diet as protein. That, that's hazardous. Um, for example, through a, a typical lifestyle, a lifetime of, a, of a, a people eating, the person eating the American diet, when they get to age 70, on average, they've lost 25% of their kidney function mm. from mm. The, uh, the, the wear and tear caused by the amount of protein in the typical Western diet. Uh, they've lost 25%. Now, it doesn't matter because you only need like about 25% of your kidneys to clear all the waste. So you never notice it. Uh, but it becomes a real issue for anybody who's lost kidney mass. And I take care of a lot of really, really sick people. I take care of people who have lost 90% of their kidneys. Mm -hmm. uh, in, in that case, when you've lost, say, say you've lost half your kidney mass, and that would be somebody that gets in an auto accident, loses a kidney, has an infection, or donates a kidney or a recipient of a donated kidney, they only have half their kidney mass. In that case, uh, the standard recommendation from nephrologists, you know, the kidney doctors worldwide, is the donor and the recipient need to be on a low-protein diet to preserve the kidney mass. Now, they really don't emphasize it, uh, Rip. They, you know, they, mm -hmm. you know, their conversation is casual. Go see the dietitian. The dietitian will teach you a low-protein diet and you know, you need to be on a low-protein diet. Now, come on here, here. Let me let me show you my dialysis machines. They're really cool. And you, let me tell you how much money I make on these things. And that's where you spend your life, three, four hours a day, three, four times a week on these dialysis machines. Whereas my patients who've lost, you know, as much as 90% of their kidney mass, uh, they'll go on a healthy diet. And the healthy diet I use as, a, as an example would be the Kempner diet, which is 93% sugar. Okay. It's white rice, fruit, fruit juice, and table sugar. In this case, using that as an ideal, we don't. I don't use that in all practical terms because I find people do do well without that those kind of restrictions. But Walter Kempner, I mean, you want to talk about the father of diet therapy? Uh, you know, this man was was curing people of diabetes and heart disease and kidney failure and rheumatoid arthritis even before I was born. You know, that was a long time ago. Wasn't he with Duke back in the 40s and 50s? Is that correct? He, was. he, he came to Duke in 1934. He was invited to by the head of the internal medicine department at Duke University in Durham, North Carolina. And he uh, brought, his, brought his diet to popularity in 1939. And uh, he's a very, very interesting man. I have a whole lecture on uh, 
yeah. on Walter yeah. Kempner on my website. It's in my December 2013 newsletter. But this this guy, uh, I mean, he's the doctor who I look upon as my most important mentor as a, as a fellow medical doctor. I mean, he taught me things like, you know, he taught me how uh, effective diet therapy can be better than any drug or surgery available in most cases of chronic disease. He taught me how, how you don't have to worry about simple diets, you know, like most of us started doing, we're worried about calcium and vitamins and proteins and so on. He showed me that the simplest of diets, white rice, fruit, fruit juice, and as much as 2,000 calories of simple sugar, table sugar today, supply all your needs. He gave a vitamin pill too, but that's an old mother story. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, it, it, but doctors don't think in those terms, neither do customers, neither do food, foods, food companies. They all took into, they don't understand, Rip. They just plain and simple don't know about human nutrition. Yeah. You, you mentioned uh, that this, you did a thing on Walter Kempner, and I think it was, you said 2013 McDougal newsletter. For anybody that's listening, John's got the most amazing archives of McDougal newsletters going back to what, John, the 80s? I, I started, I started it online in 2002. Okay. But I, I have my previous newsletters that date back to 86. Yeah. Uh, they're on my website too. We have uh, <clears throat> it's uh, my website is just a trove of information. It represents 46 years of my work. It's all free. And, yeah. and on that website, in addition to my work, I have uh, I have the files of Nathan Pritikin. OK, yeah. uh, Nathan Pritikin, he put together before he died. He put together a, a summary of his favorite articles on diet therapy. And it's a book about this thick. All right. Uh, it sat on my shelf in my office until October of 2017 when it was burnt, along with every other thing I had in material possession and wildfire. But illegally, yeah. <laughs> I copied that darn thing and I put it on the website. And so you can go to my website now. You can put up Nathan Pritikin and you can have his uh, only 50 copies were ever printed. As far as I know, no copies exist. Mm. Mm. But anyway, it's there. And then I did the same thing with Walter Kempner's work, two volumes, again, free. Yeah. Uh, I was able to find out where they were, and I got copies from some of the people who used to work with him. Actually, I, I don't need to mention the name, but it was people who worked for him, they gave me copies, two volumes. And I said, I, I need permission to do this. And they didn't know where I where I'd get permission. So I you know, went around a little bit here and there and looked for some people that give me permission. There wasn't anybody to give me permission, so I copied them. Yeah. And they're on the website, volume one and volume two, free. Of Walter Kempner's work, you know, volume one is in German, volume two is in English. So it's all there for you folks. And, you know, Rip, <clears throat> there's a lot of young guys coming up that have uh, new and wonderful ideas about nutrition. You know, you need uh, a good fat diet and all kinds of crazy stuff. I, I don't even want to talk to them until they've studied the work of Kempner and Pritikin. They don't deserve the stage until they really understand the work of these two pioneers. And it's there on the website. So if, uh, if anybody who ever wants to get into a discussion, a friendly discussion about the truth about human nutrition, you better become familiar with these two pioneers. There you, there you go. John, you, do you remember the, the film, the documentary Forks Over Knives? Yeah, I had a lot to do with it. I know you did. I know you did. 
So, so if you remember, there's a scene where I'm going up the fire pole with just my arms, my legs, and I'm saying real men eat plants. And the reason why is, you know, I was going through all your, a lot of your old newsletters and I saw one from 2012 and, and the title was sperm counts reduced by eating meat and dairy. And it was this Danish study of a 701 young, young Danish, Danish kids. Um, why do you think meat and dairy reduces sperm count? Do you have any idea? Yeah, I, th- I think so. It has to do with the, uh, the chemicals. Uh, meat and dairy is high on the food chain. And so it picks up all kinds of phytochemicals and uh, phytoestrogens and uh, xenoestrogens, which are, are, are chemicals that are made in the estrogen activity. And so as a result of eating meat, you're eating a whole bunch of these chemicals. And uh, what they do is they, uh, they raise havoc on your, on your semen and your sperm. But not, not only are you, you have less, fewer sperm per volume, which has dropped about at least in half. Mm-hmm. And uh, reports come out all the time in the newspaper, but you read it, you know, 30 years ago from my work. The rip, <clears throat> yeah. uh, there's more, more deformity in the sperm. It produces uh, uh, genetic defects, including Down syndrome and other defects because of the lack of plant foods in the diet and, the, and these chemicals. And I'll tell you something else that I think only well, many, of your, many of your listeners will relate to is the ejaculate has a decrease in volume in people who eat meat. Mm-hmm. Okay. In this day and age, some of your listeners should understand how important it is. So you've got bad sperm, you've got half the sperm, and you don't have enough fluid to make any impression that I'm, I would be impressed by. Bam. Well, I, 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 it makes I sense. Bet your, I bet none of your other guests talk about that. No, no, but that's why I love having you on. You, you talk <laughs> well, about stuff that people are, you know, we, they, they stay away from it. I'm a medical doctor, and I've been taking care of, I've cared for 12,000 patients. And so I've really earned the right to talk to people about, you know, I don't get embarrassed. Yeah. You know, I, I'm there to, uh, to help them get over. There's some serious, serious problems. And so, you know, as far as, you know, as far as uh, any boundaries go, you know, as, as long as I'm, you know, decent and respectful and scientific, I'm going to tell you the truth. Yeah. Yeah. You well, just are not going to be a man if you're going to eat a lot of meat. <laughs> Plain and simple. <laughs> no matter what movie you're in, you're not going to make it. Right. Real men. And, eat and like- also, you have the problem of erectile dysfunction. Oh, we, yes, exactly. <laughs> no, we're not just talking about bad sperm. We're talking about getting it up. Yeah. You, yeah. you plug the vessels to the penis. Yeah. And you ruin the nerves to the penis. And, you know, it's not Viagra deficiency, it's a matter of poor blood supply to the penis, just like you have to your heart and your brain. If you remember from Forks Over Knives as well, Terry Mason was was in there and he said it's the canary in the coal mine that kind of lets you know you got yeah. some uh, heart disease probably going on. You know, the sad thing is, is pe- people have known there's really nothing new. Yeah. You know, that, that's kind of why I've, uh, you know, I don't do the newsletter anymore. And I just I just do take care of patients and run, run our clinic. But there's really nothing new to tell. I, I kind of ran out of subjects. And, and, and all the other stuff is just, uh, you know, it just comes back to the same message is that, you know, that people need to eat a live on a starch based diet with fruits and vegetables. And you need to stay away from animal foods and oils. 
That's it. Two sentences. Yep. Yep. It's super simple. It's super simple. Let me ask you this, John, because, you know, it seems like every year or two or three, there's a big, a big thing in the news about a, a celebrity that's passed away from colon cancer, colorectal cancer. You know, we, we had Vince Lombardi back in the seventies, um, Charles Schultz back in the seventies. So I would love to hear what your thoughts are on some testing. So for example, colonoscopy, are you a fan of that or not? No, no. I, my August 2010 newsletter begins the discussion. And I did a newsletter in 2017, which you can find on our website that talks about colonoscopy. This is not the gold standard. Well, it is the gold standard if you're making money. It's a, t- a heck of a gold standard. It's like you know, $3,000 uh, to have one done, uh, whereas you can do just as just as good as far as detecting colon cancer and saving your life, which is most important, mm-hmm. by doing stool tests, which could be like $3. Uh, these these uh, colonoscopies are dangerous. Uh, I've had uh, several people who I've known who've died by, by getting their routine checkups. I mean, think about it for a minute, Rip. When you agree to a colonoscopy, you're agreeing to risk your life today based upon a theoretical possibility that you will have a reduced risk of dying of cancer in 20 to 30 years. That's a hell of a bargain. So, no, I, I'm, I think people should not get colonoscopies, but should they have some type of, of colon cancer? They should. Uh, mm-hmm. Not because it will reduce the risk of dying. It will not. It will reduce the risk of dying of colon cancer. Everybody you save from colon cancer, you kill on the operating table or through anesthesia or other treatments. Hmm. So it all will wash. You, you won't live any longer. In fact, uh, there's no, um, there, there's really no early detection test that uh, improves overall survival, reduces overall mortality. Hmm. They reduce disease-specific mortality. In other words, mammography may reduce your risk of dying of breast cancer, but the subsequent treatments, chemotherapy, radiation, et cetera, it takes an equal number of people. So nobody, nobody's alive any longer if you just look at overall mortality. Anyway, I, I do recommend that people have one sigmoid exam uh, around age 60. Mm-hmm. And they can also start doing uh, stool tests. You can do uh, a couple of different blood tests you could do. There's a new test that costs about 600 bucks called a Colagard, mm. which is heavily advertised because it makes a ton of money. Uh, I, I think it's a reasonable thing to do. So you do a sigmoid exam and or you do you check your stool. And that's the way it should be done. Mm-hmm. Uh, in uh, 2016, the Canadian Task Force on Preventive Medicine told Canadian citizens to stop getting colonoscopies. That's a statement. Well, you know, it's, it's big business, though, Rip. I mean, I have, I have colleagues that, that drive Teslas, you know, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's, you can't overlook the dollar. The money drives everything. So if you think these are bad people, you're wrong. They're just people. Mm. What What about so so? You are a fan though of the flexible sigmoid exam. You yeah, said it's I think, you know, when I started doing them as a general doctor. I used the the silver silver sword. What's that mean? In other words, it was not flexible. It's about this long, and I. That was something I did every day on my patients. And not, you know, not every patient had one every day, but you know, every right. day I did one. And this was really, really a painful experience. Now with the flexible, it's almost nothing. And uh, the, the cancers that make a difference as far as 
disease-specific mortality, not overall mortality, as far as dying of colon cancer, are those you find by a sigmoidoscope. Mm. Uh, adding the extra six feet with a colonoscope really doesn't uh, even improve disease-specific mortality. So, uh, you know, just you get, you get a, a sigmoid exam, say, around age 60. You stop doing them, by the way, around 75. If you, in that window, it's mm-hmm. worth your while. After 75, you're wasting your time and money. And what are, and what are your thoughts uh, kind of, I think, related to this um, as far as like bowel problems, issues, diverticulitis, polyps, right. constipation, all that stuff? Well, again, there's a, a really, really interesting lecture that I have on the website. It's on GI diseases, but mm. it's in a book that I published in 2006 with a book, pub- book publishing company, and it's still a national bestseller. Wow. It call, it's called Dr. McDougall's Digestive Tune-Up. Uh, uh, Whole Foods used to carry it you know, up until yeah. recently. I don't know if they still do. You can still buy it on Amazon. It's a great little book, and, and uh, it's really – I mean, it's the only book that describes what a bowel movement should look like. You know, I, I do that in this book. Like I say, I'm a doctor. Uh, and you can count on pretty much all the illnesses, all the way from bad breath, where you start in your mouth, to uh, esophagitis and, and adenocarcinoma of the esophagus, to stomach ulcers, gallbladder disease, colon cancer, diverticulosis, diverticulitis, ulcerative colitis, Crohn's disease, hemorrhoids. Pretty much, it has to do pretty much 100% with what you put in your bowel. Why do I know this? Well, I, I, know, I know this because one of my other mentors, uh, uh, Dennis Burkett, who, uh, and by the way, I, I did a newsletter on him in my January 2013 newsletter. And the only, the only um, video recordings of Dennis Burkett and Nathan Pritikin and I did, no, no others exist. And you, they both can be found in uh, the... The January 2013 is Burkett, and the February 2013 is the uh, Pritikin. And I've done some on Roy Swank, who's another one of my heroes. And Mm. uh, Walter Kempner would not allow his picture to be taken, but uh, I discuss him in my December 2013 newsletter. So if you want to look, I I didn't invent this, all right? You know, (laughs) I, I stand on the shoulders of some really, really important people. And, uh, you know, I, I've been a conduit, which I'm happy about. But uh, this, this is, you know, dates me by, by not just a lifetime, but by hundreds of years. You know, people have been talking about should you be vegetarian or should you be a carnivore? This goes back to the biblical days. John, um, how do you remember 2013, 2012? How do you, how do you have such a sharp mind at remembering all this? all the newsletters and where, where it is. Maybe That's I still have good circulation in my brain. I don't know. I, I, the, really the truth of the matter is, is I, I put a lot of work into uh, everything that I've ever done. I'd never wanted people come people, people come back to me and say, you know, you were wrong. Mm. You have to correct this. And the truth is the truth. And if you search hard enough and you're able to uh, evaluate what's going on from a reasonably objective point of view, you, you can hit narrow in on the truth. I would spend one to two weeks every month writing these newsletters. I mean, we're talking about, you know, eight, 12, 16 hour days that I work on each newsletter. So I have not had to correct uh, any of my work, none of my books, none of the newsletters that I've written, you know, basically nothing. I've, I've added a few things here and there. And uh, on our books, uh, 
which we have 13 national best-selling books. Whenever there was an update that was necessary or an emphasis that was necessary, I, I did actually cover that. This is a subject in my newsletters. The last newsletter I wrote was uh, just before the fires. And it mm. was about the barbaric and brutal treatment of breast cancer victims. That's the last newsletter I wrote. Mm. But I've written two books about treating breast cancer. Well, speaking of breast cancer, John, um, and I think you alluded to it when you're talking about colonoscopies, but so you're also are not a fan of mammograms, right? Absolutely not. Well, I, would, I just did an interview and people will find it uh, on YouTube. Uh, Peter Gertzky, okay, he, he was the head of the Cochrane Collaboration for 20 plus years. Uh, he became a friend of mine. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know whether you came to the advanced study weekend. A, a lot of people did when I gave it, when I gave the professionals weekend. But he was uh, he was our, our only outside guest. I did the rest of the lectures. And I brought Peter in, the head of the Cochrane Collaboration from Copenhagen, flew first class, paid him a lot of money. Yeah. And uh, he has written you know, several books. And one is called Mammography, Truth, Lies, and Controversies. If you want to get into the details, you know, get this book. There's also a... Um, a paper that he wrote, which you can find on PubMed. I'd have to look it up for you. Just recently, it was within the last 10 years, which summarizes his stand. Or you can go to uh, to my website or just look up McDougall and Peter Gertzky, and you'll find a, 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 a interview I did with him about two months ago. Mm-hmm. And I can't tell you the number of people who wrote me, including Michael Greger, and told me how important this interview was to talk about mammograms. So, uh, you know, I'm, st- I'm still busy trying to bring the truth out. No, yeah. absolutely not. I recommend strongly against screening. Okay. There's a difference between screening and diagnostic. You know, screening is when you cast this huge net over the public and you catch a whole bunch of people. That's what you do with screening tests. It's just great for business. Okay. Uh, it's called disease mongering. You turn people into patients. That's what we do disease mongering. Anyway, uh, Peter does a, a great interview. Really, I got him to talk to the public. And you want to listen to that. It's well worth your trouble. I, I like it. Well, so anybody that wants to know more about, uh, you know, why not to do mammograms, let's, let's listen to that. John, so I, if you, I don't know if you remember or not, but uh, my whole family and I, we came to one of your McDougal um, vacations. It was in Costa Rica. Oh, yeah. You guys really knew how to deliver quite an experience. We still are talking about some of the zip lining and the rafting trips and the sailboating and the hikes. Um, but you, every day you would give one talk. And I remember you, part of one of your, your talks, you talked about osteoporosis and osteopenia. And if I remember correctly, and this is what I'd love you to mention, is that you were like osteopenia is not it's kind of a made up disease if I'm not mistaken. It's, it's based on the bone and the density test. Yeah. It's yeah. Based, on, based on a test you, to really diagnose osteoporosis. You have to have somebody have a fracture uh, with an unusual mild stress. In other words, you get hit by a car and have a fracture. I mean, that happened to you, but you yeah. know, somebody takes a step or you know, has a minor fall and they fracture a bone. Then you diagnose osteoporosis. The bone mineral density test is a, uh, an unreliable test. And uh, what it does is it measures the amount of mineral in the bones, bone mineral density. 
uh, there's an article you can find it. I wrote a, a, a direct. I only direct you to the important articles. <laughs> yeah. Under hot topic, under hot topics of osteoporosis, the first article is about how uh, women over the age of 60, 65, 70 percent of them flunk the bone mineral density test. Okay. They either are diagnosed with osteoporosis or osteopenia based upon bone mineral density test. Why? Because it's normal. It's natural. It's supposed to happen. You see, the, the, the female body stores two pounds of mineral for the baby, for the fetus, for the breastfeeding. When you go through menopause, you don't need to carry around that two pounds of mineral. So you naturally normally get rid of that mineral. It doesn't change the strength of the bones. Mm -hmm. It's just that the mineral is no longer there. So, but unfortunately, you know, women become victims of the pharma, pharmaceutical business with some very dangerous drugs uh, as a consequence of this misleading test. So, uh, you know, again, this is something I'm, I'm a doctor. I have a duty to my patients. I have to tell them what I believe to be the truth. And, you know, Rip, I've been doing this for, for well, 47 years now. You know, I've seen 12,000 patients. I certainly was not, have not been shy about my opinions. And to this date, I, I still have, have weathered the test of time. I haven't found anybody, at least in my face, that tells me I'm wrong. Mm -hmm. no, I don't know what they say behind my back, Rip, but I tell you, nobody's ever come to me and said, you know, you really, really missed that one, McDougal. Yeah. You, you hurt a whole bunch of people. It doesn't happen. And I'm proud of that, but it's because I really work hard. You know, it's not because I'm a genius or anything. It's just because, you know, I'm a doctor and I had an obligation still have to my patients. Mm -hmm. And uh, when they come to me, they, they're buying an expert and they better get the best expert possible. So we have probably, I think the latest stats that I've read are about 116 million Americans that right now are on some sort of a hypertensive medication. What are your thoughts on blood pressure and all these meds that are being dispensed for, for elevated blood pressure? Oh, I don't know. I mean, if, you know, <laughs> it, it just fits in with the rest of the medical business. Um, you know, just like with colon cancer, I didn't mention one of the basic messages is to fix the food. Yeah. yeah same thing with osteoporosis. I didn't mention it, but one of the basic messages is to fix the food. And so it is with high blood pressure. Uh, I practice by the standard recommendations for treating high blood pressure. Those put out by the National Health Service, that's the Britain's, uh, the British, the British uh, Organization for Medical Care, the National Health Service. I follow those recommendations for treating with medication. I follow the recommendations of the American Heart Association. Mm -hmm. I follow the recommendations of the Cochrane Collaboration. What they say is this that you should initiate therapy if the blood pressure is sustained at 160 over 100 millimeters of mercury. The, uh, um, the American Medical Association says it should be initiated. Now listen to this. If the blood pressure is sustained at 150 or higher. Okay, I, I do this. If you came, my patient, you came to me and, you know, 99% of the time, or actually our data is clear. It shows that 90% of the time we reduce or stop blood pressure medications. But say you were one of those people who really did run a blood pressure of a lot greater than 160 over 110. I'd put you on, a, on the right medication, which happens to be really a cheap medication, which has been used, it's been used since the 1950s. It's called chlorothaladone. 
So you get a little water pill and you get a lot of encouragement to eat well and lose the weight. And, you know, and I, I, the thing is, is that treating high blood pressure really helps very few people. It helps people at the extreme. The ones that are really, 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 really sick benefit from statins or benefit from, well, they don't benefit from heart surgery. I don't care how sick they are. That's mm-hmm. a whole other story. You know, this is, you know, Rip, I just, I, probably your listeners have gotten the message so far. Oh, sure. <laughs> this is, is from listening to us. What's going on is criminal. But, but again, I have to tell you, I, I'm a physician. That's my main goal. And my responsibility to my patients. And I can't let them uh, undergo treatments that are harmful and unnecessary. And, uh, you know, over my career, many people have come to me and said, look, you know, you've got very, very successful diet books. You've got a really successful diet, especially my colleagues have come to me when they read my books. They said, you're, you're such a good diet doctor. Why don't you just stick to diet? Why do you have to muddle in heart surgery and cancer therapy and mammographies and osteo? Why do you have to muddle in that? Why? Listen, we got a good business going. Just leave us alone. And that's, that's been the conversation for my whole career. And, uh, you know, I've dealt with my colleagues at many levels and uh, plain and simple. They're not telling the people truth. They just they just aren't. But there's a lot of money behind this, Rip. And that's the problem is that uh, well, you see it. Like, for example, if you watch and I spend way too much time doing this, uh, watching cable news. Mm-hmm. Every single advertisement is paid for by the drug companies. Well, maybe 90 percent. You've got a whole bunch of immune-suppressing drugs, and they're basically all the same. If you watch them, they'll say, well, we use this special drug for rheumatoid arthritis. Well, we also use it for ulcerative colitis. And if you have a little eczema, we'll put you on the same drug, too. They, they suppress the immune system. And then they tell you for 90 seconds after the pitch, of course, there's a dancing couple in the field and having a wonderful time and enjoying life and their children. But they, 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 they run through a whole dialogue about how you could die. You could get cancer. You could get infections. You could, you know, you'd be crazy to take this drug if you listen to what they were saying. You know, some people may need these kinds of medications because their life is tough and they won't change their diet. But my position has been and will remain that you ought to hear McDougall's message first. All right. You know, give me a chance. Uh, and, you know, it, we're, we're talking about something that costs you nothing, something you should be doing for, for to have a good bowel movement, something you should be doing just to cut your food bill, or, or if you believe in animal cruelty, something you should be doing, or if you believe in saving planet Earth, something you should be doing. Just just give me a couple of months, and then go buy the stuff that they're selling for twenty, thirty, fifty, seventy thousand dollars $70,000 a year. That's what they're making on these drugs. Type two, they're selling medication to type 2 diabetics. It's probably a third of the commercials, type 2 diabetic medications. Type 2 diabetes is 100% curable with weight loss. And the best way to lose weight is with the program you and I teach. So, you know, if, even if you go on the Atkins diet, if you have your, your teeth wired together, even if you're put in a prisoner of war camp, your diabetes will go away 100% of the time. But nobody tells you that. They tell you you got to take this whole bunch of new drugs. And you know why they tell you you have to take a whole bunch of new drugs that they're advertising now? is because in 2008, 
they finished up six studies. Three of them were published in the New England Journal of Medicine in 2008. The Advance, uh, the Accord, and the Veteran Study were published in 2008 in the New England Journal of Medicine. All of the studies, all six, there are no others, all six showed you increase the risk of dying, dying of heart disease, sudden death, weight gain by taking these medications. So the FDA came after the drug companies in 2008 and said, look, you guys, you know, we've approved anything that lowers blood sugar. It didn't kill the patient immediately. Mm-hmm. You got to at least stay alive for a while. <laughs> so we'll approve anything that lowers blood sugar. But you know what? That's not enough. You got to show that people end up living longer or don't have fewer heart disease. So they changed their pitch. They changed their research. Now they have a bunch of drugs out there that they advertise. And boy, we reduce your risk of, uh, of cardiovascular mortality like about by about 1% to 2%. That's what you do. Or, or uh, Ozempic. Ozempic is the new one now with the, for diabetes. So everybody's on for weight loss. Oh, and by the way, you take our diabetic medication, you might lose 10, 20, 30 pounds. You know, uh, that, that kind of drug, and there's some sister drugs to it, are being sold to the public off-label to lose weight. My goodness. All you got to do is change the kind of diet you and I recommend. Yeah. And they all lose weight. There are no there are no overweight people following a starch-based diet with the addition of fruits and vegetables, as long as they keep the nuts and seeds and avocados and you know the derivatives of these high fat plant foods out of the diet. There's no such thing. Mm. But before 1980, I, I show you the research published in JAMA. So you say out of the diet as far as the nuts and the seeds and avocados or, or minimize it? What what is your well, record? You know, I, I don't think they're unhealthy, Rip. It's just that uh, people you know, for, for people, what happens is a little bit is not enough. Mm. It's like alcoholism. And so you start giving them permission for nuts and seeds and avocados, ones that want to lose weight. Or get, you have to lose the weight to get rid of the type 2 diabetes. And you start giving permission, what you've done is you've sabotaged these people. So what I teach is that, uh, you know, nuts and seeds and avocados are not unhealthy. But they're 90% fat. They're just loaded with calories. How do you expect to lose weight if you eat these? Well, you know, the research says if I only eat an ounce a day, I won't gain weight. Well, you know, you don't eat an ounce a day. <laughs> I know you don't. <laughs> uh, do you eat nuts? Uh, yeah, I do. In fact, you know, Rip, I, I mm-hmm. uh, probably since I, we got together in person many years ago, I probably lost 20 pounds. And so for me, you know, it's, I'm getting older, let's face it. You know, I'm 75 years old. And that's a natural part of aging is you do lose weight. It will happen. It happened to your dad. It happened to me. It happened to T. Colin Campbell. Yeah, yeah. You know, even though you're in good health, you, you just you don't carry around the pounds you're used to mm-hmm. for a whole, a whole bunch of reasons. None of them unhealthy. Just like dying is not unhealthy. It's going to happen. Right, right. And so, you know, I try and put some effort into keeping my weight on. And, you know, Mary's thin, too. She's uh, probably lost uh, 15 pounds since you saw her last time. But, you know, she's 76 years old. We don't need to carry around that kind of weight anymore. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> anyway, so there are people out there that need to gain weight. And nuts and seeds and avocados. It's like I told you, I had a little peanut sauce with my favorite Vietnamese spring rolls. Every once in a while when you're feeling, when you're yeah. feeling a little uh, spry. <laughs> but, you know, I'll tell you, if, that, if, if, they, if, they, if they sold that peanut sauce in gallon jars, I'd be in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> Let me ask you this. You, you, you mentioned, um, you mentioned alcohol. 
What are your thoughts on caffeine and alcohol? Because it seems like this this culture is a fan of both. Alcohol is a real serious problem uh, for about one in 10 people. And I consider it a serious irresponsibility for a health professional to recommend alcohol. You know, maybe nine out of 10 people are, are listening to this doctor's message about, you know, a drink is okay. But one out of 10, hears the message and goes home and beats the wife and kids and gets in an auto accident and kills the family on the way home. They should never be mentioned in the same sentence, alcohol and, uh, mm-hmm. and health. <laughs> now, if you drink because it's sociable or relaxing or, you know, alcoholics know when they're alcoholics. They, you know, they, if they're honest with themselves, they have no doubt they have a problem. But a lot of people don't get honest with themselves. So I, I think uh, alcohol poisoning is a very serious thing that has to be dealt with carefully. Uh, Caffeine is kind of an interesting thing. Well, this is tea, by the way. I'm drinking uh, a non-caffeinated tea, by the way. Uh, uh, Coffee is a whole different thing. There's been a, a lot of research done, and I, I think it fall, falls in the category of people like to hear good news about their bad habits. I've heard that before. Yes. Yeah, right. Uh, well, I, they do. <laughs> and uh, But, but uh, you know, I've reviewed the literature, and you know, I have to admit I, I have had a cup of coffee once in a while. And uh, the literature says that it prolongs – longevity and it makes you keener mm-hmm. and you know especially there were studies done on college students that you know they give them one cup of coffee after lunch and it just perks them up just like they never had lunch right so uh i would have to say i would have to say as long as you give this positive message of longevity and having a keener mind you don't forget to tell people that coffee causes terrible indigestion and decaf coffee causes as much acid indigestion as regular coffee. Uh, coffee, every serious coffee drinker knows where every bathroom is in town because they're constantly urinating and defecating. Uh, people have to understand that this is a stimulant. This is a drug. And if you're having problems sleeping at night, you know, think about the coffee. If you're having problems, uh, you know, lecturing and your pointer is going like this, you know, think about the coffee. Uh Let's see what else. Uh, anyway, well, there's, there's some main points about coffee. It, has, it is a drug. Yeah, it has some positive things and some negative things. But I have to separate that from alcohol because, you know, there's, uh, I've I've seen. I don't know whether you've had these experiences, uh, Rip, but I, I've I've seen people's lives absolutely destroyed by alcohol. Oh yeah, yeah. I think we all I think we all have. But with the caffeine, you also in one of your newsletters, and I can't remember the uh, the year or the month. Maybe you I'll do. Tell you. <laughs> but you you mentioned how, and I think it was uh, around cholesterol, and, and in this particular newsletter, you were advocating for people to try and get their cholesterol, oh, total yeah, cholesterol yeah. to about 150. You mentioned that caffeine can raise cholesterol. Yeah, there are a couple of other alkalites. Thank you very much. I, yeah. That's yeah. the other thing I should have added. <clears throat> that was a very confusing thing in the 1980s because well-done research, and I read this research carefully, showed that uh, that coffee raises cholesterol in some studies, but not in others. And uh, it, when you got down to the methods, you figured out why. It had to do with the methods of brewing. If you percolated the coffee, what happens is the cholesterol went up about 10%. But if you put it through a paper filter, the paper filter took out the, the, the two fatty acids that raise cholesterol. Mm-hmm. And so it doesn't raise cholesterol if it's put, if, but like most coffees done through a filter paper filter these days. Uh, and also, I want to mention that uh, regular coffee raises cholesterol about 10%. Decaf raises it about 11%. Mm-hmm. 
Wow. No, don't don't fool yourself. I mean, you may not get the jitteriness with decaf, but the so, acid ingestion is just as bad with decaf. The cholesterol rises just as much. The high blood pressure rises isn't much. I uh, I just want everybody to know, and I want you to know how much fun I I have going back and reading the old newsletters that are on your uh-huh. website. Really, it's 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 a blast. I want to talk about one thing that I found because uh-huh. I think I think this in and of itself could get men worldwide to drop the meat and the dairy and basically start going, you know, become starchivores and become plant strong. And that is. You have a whole thing on hormone-dependent diseases. Right. And one of the things you mention is male pattern baldness. When I look at you and Colin and Essie and, you know, well, let's leave, let's leave Gregor out of this, right? <laughs> but yeah. you, you, it's this one study that it, it's referenced in a Japanese book that appeared in the journal. Uh, Dr. Naba. Yes, exactly right. Can hair grow again? Mm-hmm. And yeah. anyway... Um, can you remember that at all? Or do you yeah, want me to like, happened to me when I was a young doctor in Kailua, Hawaii is uh, w- one of the dermatologists uh, down the hall. He brought me this article entitled, can you grow your hair back by Dr. Anaba? And I thought yeah. he was just pulling my leg. He's just teasing me. And it was published in uh, oncology and uh, dermatology or something, some obscure journal. And it was about Dr. Anaba. And what he'd observed was that there was no male pattern baldness in Japan, in Japan, prior to World War II. And then after the war, when people started eating the Western diet, not only did male pattern baldness appear, but so did prostate cancer and heart disease and obesity and so on. So he made the connection. And he also talked about the hormones uh, and how the hormones change uh, when you change your diet. And, you know, people who watch the hair loss commercials know that they sell anti-testosterone medications to keep your hair on. Anyway, I was uh, living in Hawaii, and we spent a lot of time down at Waikiki. Uh, and plus, I, you know, my patient practice was probably half Japanese. And uh, what I observed was that the older gentlemen who came to Hawaii visiting from Japan, they always had a full set of hair. Mm. Whereas the uh, Asian Americans who had been born and raised in Hawaii, they're bald, just they're as fat and greasy and bald as whites and blacks. It didn't matter what color your skin was. Yeah. I, I you know, I thought you were going to talk, talk to me about, about the, the, the body bo- odor. <laughs> so, well, I, I, I'd love to hear about the body odor because that's something that I think most men uh, are not fans of. This is the thing. Uh, I, again, I watch too much cable news, but <laughs> uh, they have this, uh, uh, I don't know, woman, who comes on uh, on the TV and she's got this tube of stuff. Mary Pryor remembers the name of it. And it says it takes care of body odor every place on the body. You can put it between your butt cheeks and wow. it won't stink 24 hours later. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> you know, honey, this body odor thing has become a real sales gimmick. But what people need to understand is this stink, whether it comes out of the mouth or the flatus, or the vaginal area, or the the sweat glands is all due to the food, mm. and uh, you know it's the it's the animal foods. Uh, it, 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 what happens if you eat these foods? You're taking in a high amount of sulfur, and sulfur stinks. I mean, you think about rotten eggs. 
or mm-hmm. the sulfur pit you've visited at Yellowstone. You know, it's the most re- repulsive odor that uh, the human body comes into contact with. There's even a toothpaste or a mouthwash called Smart 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 Mouthwash. It's smart. It's the name, name part of the product, which talks about how it deactivates sulfur and that all bad breath is caused by sulfur. I mean, these are the commercials that I'm hearing. Mm-hmm. Well, <clears throat> sulfur, let me give you some numbers here. If you're going to compare beans and beef, same amount of calories, same same amount of protein, you compare beans and beef, beef has four times as much sulfur, 400% than beans. You compare uh, uh, chicken and rice, seven times difference. You compare tuna fish and sweet potatoes, there's 12 times difference in the sulfur content of these foods. And sulfur is an element you remember from your chemistry. Elements are neither created or destroyed. They have to come from someplace, and they have to go someplace. So uh, in this case, you know, like all sulfur, it comes from the ground, and it's, uh, it is uh, incorporated in animal tissues. And what happens when you eat these things is that uh, uh, they, they break down to sulfur dioxide, which is a really stinky part of sulfur. And they go in your intestinal tract, and they're absorbed in the bloodstream, and they flow through the bloodstream, and they're exhaled. Every breath you exhale, you cannot brush this stink away. It, it comes out of your lungs, the sulfur does, and so you have bad breath, which you can't get rid of, mm. you know, unless you get rid of the sulfur. And then it comes out of the body, the body odor, and then it comes out of the flatus. And you've heard, uh, in fact, I have an article in my August 2002 newsletter, which is entitled, Bad farts meet stinks. Mm, and, mm. Uh, you know, it, one of the things I joke about, Rip, is I joke about, you know, when, when people on our program, uh, they'll, they'll laugh and they'll say, you know, have you heard of Mc, good McBugle today? Because yeah. uh, when you switch, especially initially to this kind of diet, you have more gas to your yeah. ball bacteria adjust. That's not a problem. But then I come back to them and I say, well, you know, that may be true, but at least our bile gas smells better. I said, their bile gas smells like something died. Yeah. But, it, but the thing is, we've gotten to a point where we're telling women, we're talking, I, listen, I'm a doctor, okay? I've done thousands of vaginal exams. Mm-hmm. This is a real problem for women. Not all women. <laughs> Only women who eat the Western diet. I, I can just assure you that's the case. They have, they have odor that must really, really bother their life, you know, from their vaginal secretions, that sulfur comes out there too. Mm-hmm. And now they have a, a tube of cream that you can put between your legs, a little drop. Well, take, take care of the stink for 24 hours. Yeah. You know, so maybe for 24 hours, you're, you're a little yeah. more attractive. Yeah. They're not what, getting to the causation of what's going on there. Like everything else. And, and smell is so important, Rip. Oh. You know, smell determines whether you fall in love or not. It's it's not so much sight. It's how a person smells yeah. that determines whether you're attracted to them or not. That's how you pick a mate. And the perfume industry knows this. They say, a, you know, perfumes that cost $1,000 to make you smell. They think they're going to cover up the real stink to make you sexually more attractive. They sell for pheromones. Take care of the stink first. And see how things go in your life. You know, let somebody really smell like you smell like. Another kind of interest. I give a whole lecture. It's uh, on personal attractiveness. It's John. It's funny you mention all this. Um, when I was on 
the Dr. Oz show several years ago, he asked me to take three Chicago firefighters and put them on this and do before and after biometric screenings to kind of get these guys healthy. And one of the guys mentioned how before he started doing this, his wife would, you know, go into the bathroom after he used it and say, Oh my God, the, 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 the paint is, is peeling off the walls. I mean, that's how, how bad his, you know, his, uh, his bathroom habits were. And he said, after, after he started doing this, it was like, no, it wasn't unpleasant whatsoever. And, uh, you know, that, that in and of itself is a pretty exciting thing. Well, we studied our patients uh, our, at our clinic. You know, we had uh, like 60 people who went through the program in 2002. And I had my dentist bring over his uh, measuring instrument called a Hellmeter. It measures the amount of sulfur in the breath. And we dropped the sulfur content in the breath of these participants in half in seven days. But I was going to tell you, you know, our, I mentioned our son goes to college up, up here in the same yeah. state we live in. Our grandson, not our son. Our grandson. And, uh, you know, Mary does his clothes. And, he, she, you know, she came out of the room one day and she says, you know, you, you McDougals have a certain scent. That's exactly the same. Jason smells just like you. You know, there. What I, the point I want to make is there's under, some underlying odor in your body, naturally present, that is not being communicated to other people because of the food you eat. Mm. You know, and and this kind, the, you know, the, this the, the details on how this odor uh, is important and attractive is. You know that women have in their olfactory lobes, they have fifty percent more fact than a man does mm. you know women are so sensitive to smell you, you guys wonder why in the heck you're having trouble having somebody fall in love with you or being close to you i know why you can fix this in seven days the heck with the dying of heart disease or colon cancer let's talk about something that's immediate there you go there you go yeah. seven days i like that john let's let let's uh let's move on to another hormone uh, kind of dependent issue. And that is lately in the news, Amy Schumer, she's a, she's a comedian, very, very famous comedian. She's been talking about how, as long as she can remember, she's had like painful, painful, painful PMS. And you have a whole newsletter on this particular topic. What can you say to some of the women out there that are having painful menstrual cycles? Well, it has to do with food. But, you know, I'm, I sound like a broken record. I'm sure people are going, I know what he's going to say. Uh, it has to do with food. And in the first chapter in my book, uh, The McDougal Program for Women, and remind me to tell you that we're giving all the books I own away for free right now. I'll tell you how to get them if you remember to ask. Well, I, I will tell you. I will ask you. Yeah. Okay. Well, you can have this book for free if you visit our website, and along with six other books. And it's something Heather did. It wasn't my idea. She got in the Christmas spirit. You know, Heather's my daughter. She runs the program. And a couple of days ago, she said, Dad, I just put up all your books for free on the website. And they're all for free. There's six books, national bestsellers. Anyway, uh, in the McDougal program for women, chapter five, it talks about how what you eat changes your, your sex hormones. You know, you, there, there are xenoestrogens, which are the chemicals that you get from eating. Uh, it's uh, the changes in bowel bacteria that change, changes the estrogens that enter your body. It's the fiber that has anti-estrogen effects. It's the phytoestrogens that are in the plant foods. 
just a whole bunch of things. And the way it affects women, which is a good share of the rest of the book that I talk about, is that you have 50% higher estrogen levels in your body when you eat the Western diet. Mm. Okay, so you overstimulate everything. You overstimulate your breasts, and they become tender. Uh, it's part of the development of breast cancer. I mean, of all the things involved in breast cancer, estrogen is the most important factor as to whether you get it and whether or not you survive it. Uh, it affects your uterus. And what happens is it causes the endometrium. Remember, 50% higher in the Western diet. It causes the endometrium to grow too thick. And so at the end of the month, what happens is you a woman sheds a tremendously thick endometrium. And she has heavy bleeding. And sometimes because of the food she eats, it forms clots. She'll have, uh, she'll have uh, intramenstrual bleeding. She'll bleed there are times she's not supposed to. You stimulate that uterus, and it breaks down into uterine cancer. You stimulate the muscle of the uterus. Well, we're talking about the inside lining. You get, uh, you get a, a proliferation of the inside lining, and it will get so bad, they call it uterine cancer, endometrial cancer. You stimulate the muscle of the uterus, and you develop a proliferation of the muscle cells, which are known as fibroids. That's how you get fibroids. Mm -hmm. uh, after after menopause, fibroids disappear, and I tell my women patients who are in their fifties and forties, they got a fibroid. Some doctor told them they need a hysterectomy. I said, just wait. You know, when you go through menopause, it goes away. You know? and if you change your diet and drop your estrogens right now, you know, at least it won't get bigger, and it'll sure help them go away too, unless you take hormones. You know, if you, if, uh, 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 and by the way, in this book, the McDougall program, I talk about how I use hormone replacement therapy. But, you know, you carefully, you, you have to do it under the right circumstances. But, yeah. Hey, John, supplementation. Um, yeah. You know, I know that you probably get asked this all the time, but for the audience, what supplement, what supplements are you a fan of, uh, if any? B12. Yeah, I just to avoid a, mainly to avoid a controversy. Plus, I think there's a risk of about one in a million of developing B12 deficiency. So I recommend B12 supplementation. Uh, that's discussed in two newsletters on my website. But as far as the other supplements, they're they're dangerous. They're not just a matter of, of wasting your money, peeing your your purchase into the toilet. They actually cause you disease. Uh, last month, excuse me, it was in June of 2022. In the mm -hmm. Journal of the American Medical Association came out a statement from the American Medical Association that you should not be using uh, beta carotene or vitamin E because it increases your risk of, uh, of various diseases, cancer, heart disease, et cetera. Uh, there have been so many official statements that people should not take these supplements. So uh, you shouldn't be taking beta carotene. You, of course, shouldn't be taking retinol, which is the animal form of vitamin A. As pills, excuse me, as in plants, they're perfect. Right. Okay. But we're talking about pills. Mm -hmm. uh, vitamin E increases your risk of heart disease. Uh, folic acid uh, increases your risk of heart disease, breast cancer, all kinds of problems. Uh, so you don't want to take these things. Folate is wonderful. comes in plants. Right. Folic acid is a pill. Now, you know, there's this whole pregnancy thing uh, about how you have neural, neural tube defects. And by the way, you know, I've been in this business a long time. I've been on um, too many deliveries. And I, I was in, present in the delivery room when two babies were born without brains. Mm -hmm. You know, I've seen dozens of children born with the spinal column 
opened up at the base and they're paraplegic the rest of their lives, their whole lives. So it's a serious problem. It's due to folate deficiency. And we have a national campaign for women to take folic acid. Doesn't work. Even though we put it in the grains and flowers, even though women are told to take folic acid, they don't realize they have to take it before they get pregnant. Uh-huh. I mean, you should you should have, have them taking folic acid from birth, except the national campaigns, the evaluation says it doesn't work. Hmm. Yet eight out of 10 uh, neurotube defects are caused by folate deficiency, plants, plants, okay? It's not corrected by folic acid. That's the problem. Right. So this is another reason we should be raising our, our, our females you know, from birth on a high folate diet. And by the way, you know, lack of, fo- uh, lack of folate in, in a male uh, uh, damages the sperm. So they have trisomy 21, which mm. is Down syndrome, mm. increases Down syndrome. So it's not just the little girls. The little boys should be fed right, too. What about DHA and EPA? Uh, there's a lot of talk about. Well, that's that's, that's fraud, too. <laughs> I hate to offend my friends who are selling these in the back room. No. It's, 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 uh, it, these things are, you, you're, the human body makes all the DHA and EPA yeah. you need from, from right. ALA. Uh, uh, alpha linoleic acid is from yep. plants. So, it. It, you know, it's, it, it, it's just sales crap. Plus, yep. you do some harm. You cause bleeding problems. Uh, I show you research on flaxseed flaxseed oil increasing the risk of not only the the number of a number of these are experimental animal studies not only the number of animals get experience uh, get cancer but the size of the tumors they're a thousandfold larger when you take these flaxseed oils these omega threes mm. don't want to touch this stuff vitamin D is another big one and and by the way just to give you know another plug I I give a series of lectures. And I'll finish the next one on Saturday. Mm. Uh, the series that I've been doing is a, a half-day seminar uh, where I lecture for two hours. We have two hours of uh, question and answer. And I usually end up lecturing for a little more than two hours. The first one was on, uh, it was on protein. Second one was on fats. The third one was on carbohydrates. And this Saturday, I'm doing the one on, uh, on vitamins and mineral supplements. And one of the big pushes is on that I have to talk about. Well, there are two. Vitamin K, again, doesn't work, but you're being pushed. I mean, vitamin K comes from green leafy vegetables, and, and also the derivatives come from the effect of bacteria in your bowel on the vitamin K you get from vegetables. Again, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. sales pitch. Doesn't work. The other is vitamin D, which is really, really a sad thing. Medicare just stopped uh, paying for vitamin D testing. Such a fraud. It's an expensive fraud. <laughs> So anyway, and, and it's harmful to take these supplements. I can show you uh, uh, about eight studies that show when you take uh, doses of vitamin D, they're commonly sold on the Internet. You know, anything over a thousand international units I'm talking about. Doses of vitamin D at a thousand international units or greater cause adverse effects, including increasing your risk of falls and fractures. This stuff is dangerous. So you should not, you should get all, the vitamins are crucial. They're absolutely crucial, but they gotta come from plants. 11 of the 13 vitamins are made by plants. Yes. One is not a vitamin, it's a hormone. It's called sunshine vitamin. Vitamin D is always a sunshine vitamin. And the other is, uh, is B12, which comes from bacteria. John, let me ask you this. 
Because you know, you know that I've got a, a a food line where we sell, you know, cereals and yeah, soups. Good, yeah, really good yeah. stuff. I want to know: are you are you involved with your McDougal soups uh, no. at all, or still? Because um, yeah. oh yeah, yeah, we we still have all, we have uh, we have approval of all the soups, all the yeah. stuff that comes out. It, yeah. And the thing that you can count on is it has no animals and yeah. no oils in the food. Yeah. It's called Dr. McDougall's Right Foods, not Dr. McDougall's Perfect Foods. Mm. Okay. Uh, we tried Dr. McDougall's Perfect Foods, which is food without any salt or sugar. Yeah. The Pritikin program bought it from us. And I had to tell Robert Pritikin pretty quickly, no salt, no sale. And we, had to, we stopped producing them after the first run on our line. But yeah, we, we developed a company in the 19, early 1990s. We're in 6,000 stores across the country still. Yeah. And we have a, a great following. Uh, I don't probably know as big as your following, but it's, you know, people buy our, our uh, soups as, uh, and they use them in, in, in the right way. They, they make a couple of baked potatoes and they put the pea soup over the top. Yeah. They have a, qu- a quick lunch, but. Uh, yeah. Our plant strong kind of ready to eat meal solutions are right below the McDougal. So I think yeah. every, every time I go and, and, and buy either McDougal or, or plant strong, yeah. uh, you know, chilies and stews and stuff like that. Tell me some, before we leave, John, tell me, is there anything that you're super jazzed and excited about right now? Uh, as you're, as you're turning 76 and, you know, yeah. uh, forging forward in this amazing life. Well, you know, Mary and I have had a, an amazing life. You know, we've owned airplanes. We've flown all over the world. We had ocean-going sailboats. We've, you know, raised three highly successful children. And now we're raising seven highly successful grandchildren. We had, you know, almost a fairy tale life. Mm-hmm. But it's almost over, uh, Rip. You know, I, I know some people like your dad live to be in, you know, close to 90. and But, you know, they let's face it. You know, we're, we're in the last phase of our life, and we realize it. So uh, I certainly would like to see my dietary and uh, medical care messages get out, but I've been investing a lot of time in helping the, the planet. And uh, we have a new website that I developed, Mary and I developed it. Mm-hmm. It is found at uh, McDougal Foundation, www.mcdougalfoundation.org. You got it up there. Yep. And it, it, te- it tells how important it is to reduce uh, individually your carbon dioxide output by 80% by changing to a healthy diet and how half of the greenhouse gases are a consequence of the animal agricultural industry. So we've got to change our, we've got to change the diet if we're going to have a sustainable future. And, and I, you know, we're talking about, uh, you know, I hate to be too negative about this, but there's no way of getting around it if you're aware we're talking about problems that are imminent and maybe probably irreversible within eight years. Mm-hmm. And we, we build up so much carbon dioxide in the atmosphere and it doesn't seem to be stopping at all. I look out the highway out here in my, my window and there just seems to be as many polluting cars and trucks as there ever was. And we know that. I mean, since Al Gore gave his lecture in 2006, uh, Inconvenient Truth, uh, he, he says that, if you consider all the carbon dioxide produced prior to his lecture and since his lecture, it, it we produced more CO2 than, wow. than before 2004. So, but we have to stop doing that. We, and I'm, lots of efforts are being made, you know, and I'm, I'm involved in those, you know, I'm driving an electric car. And I live as uh, close as I can to a, a low carbon output. You know, we eat, of course, a vegan diet. 
it's not enough. Uh, and I told you last time it was nice enough for you to ask me again. Uh, it's not enough to save our kids and grandkids to do these things. It just particularly at the pace it's going at. Good grief. But there is a, a website that I would encourage all of you. I have nothing to do with this except, uh, you know, I, I was able to save enough money. I'm going to make a big donation to these people. Uh, and I, otherwise, I have no connection. I, I did a, an interview with uh, Yi Tao, Y-E-T-A-U-T-A-O, two names, yep. Yi Tao, who's the founder of this website. And he has the answer that will give our children and grandchildren a future. What's the website? It's MEER, M-E-E-R dot org. And, and what it does is he, he, uh, he unties the connection between CO2 and global warming. And that's what has to be done because the CO2 is way out of control. If you look at what's happening, you'll never come to a conclusion that will solve the problem by we could get every car off the, off the highway today. And, you know, every airplane out of the sky, you're not going to do it. We're so far in debt. Well, so what he's done is he's uh, disconnected the carbon dioxide problem and the warming problem. And he's, his website, and I, I, it sounds like you visited it, is his website has to deal with reflecting the heat off of planet Earth by using mirrors. And he talks about how we can take uh, aluminum, just, just the waste product from aluminum tin cans, along with the waste product of plastic bottles, and we can make enough mirrors to lower the temperature of the planet so it's livable. But we got to start. You know, it's like I say, I, I wish, you know, I wish it was as simple as everybody becoming a vegan, even though it seems impossible, or getting, uh, you know, getting all renewable energy, which you know we're making progress at. But I think if you're if you're gonna be realistic about what's going on, and you really have a, a a concern about the future, and I'm sure you do. I'm sure all of you do. Yeah, oh, yeah. Then visit mirror.org and see what you could do to help. They're, they have to accept volunteers. They say we have plans on donating a considerable amount of our you know, money, money saved for a lifetime to this organization, so that we can help them along the way. Mm-hmm. If I if I knew of any cheaper answer, I'd do it. Yeah. Well, thank you for thank you for sharing that, and thank you also for you know starting the McDougal Foundation as well to, 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 to help mitigate. All well, no, Rip, I ain't dead yet. And I, I plan on putting another, I, I use your dad as an example of, of, of what I hope I will be like as I get to, I think he's 15 years older than I am. Well, well you know, okay. yeah. you, you mentioned Kempner and, and Pritigan yeah. before and how, you know, you're just a conduit and you're just standing on their shoulders. And I want to say there are so many of us, that are now conduits and we are standing and have been on your shoulders that are a mile wide and how much we appreciate your ferociousness, your commitment and your unrelenting resolve to have that fighting spirit, that fighting spirit that just doesn't seem to ever leave you. And we love you for it. Well, thank you for having me on. Thank you for uh, giving me the opportunity to share with your faithful listeners. There's a, a good reason that they're they're good yeah. followers of yours, Rip. You deserve it. Thank you. And I, John, I look forward to the next time. Well, any I, old time. You know, you got if somebody, if some guest doesn't show up, give me a call. Well, I got all the time would, in the world. I would love to. I would love to. Okay. Hey, um, Merry Christmas, John. Yeah, thank you. And plan strong and oh yeah, yeah. Our, baby. All right, we'll do it. Hey, 
I'm never going to give up, and neither are you. We, we, we don't have a day job, so we're going to do this. <laughs> That's right. That's All right. Once again, drmcdougall.com is the website. If you want to download uh, some of John's books for free until the end of 2022. And once again, have a wonderful, wonderful holiday. And be sure to keep it joyful, peaceful, and always plan strong. See you next time. Thank you for listening to the Plan Strong Podcast. You can support the show by taking a quick minute to follow us wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Leaving us a positive review and sharing the show with your network is another great way to help us reach as many people as possible with the exciting news about plants. Thank you in advance for your support. It means everything. The Plant Strong Podcast team includes Carrie Barrett, Lori Kordowich, Amy Mackey, Patrick Gavin, and Wade Clark. This season is dedicated to all of those courageous truth seekers who weren't afraid to look through the lens with clear vision and hold firm to a higher truth. Most notably, my parents, Dr. Caldwell B. Esselstyn Jr. and Anne Cryle Esselstyn. Thanks for listening.